It's Memorial Day weekend, and I, I kind of wanted to talk just about uh, remembering this morning. We're going to be sharing communion, and that, that is an act of remembering. Um, Memorial Day is an act of remembering, and, 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 and the fact of the matter is when we gather and worship, we worship because we remember. If we couldn't remember, we would have nothing to worship. We, we would be trapped in the moment, trapped in the context of absolutely today, nothing yesterday, nothing tomorrow. But that's not the way the way the, God set up the world. There was a yesterday, and it, and it matters as we remember. And, and, it, and it matters how we remember yesterday, because how we remember yesterday will affect our today and give us hope or rob us of hope for tomorrow. How we address these things that have happened in our past. My grandmother um, was a Nazarene pastor's wife. Um, my grandfather was a pastor. He passed, and she went and married another pastor, and he passed. And she was a wonderful lady, don't get me wrong. Um, apparently, she was hard on pastors. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, back in 1987, something like that, we were living in Southern California, and, and I had an opportunity to move to Northern California not only to live, um, but to get an advanced degree and, and to hang out with my grandmother. She lived in Sacramento, and I was going to start attending Sac State. And, and so I did that, and... and um, Twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday nights, I had classes, and, and she would have a, a baked potato and a frozen steak, right? And she would call me early in that day, are you going to come by, Jerry? Yes, Grandma, I'm going to come by. And she would pull out that steak, just a, little, just a little sirloin, and she would have it ready and a baked potato ready when I walked into her house. And I'd have dinner with her in about an hour or so, and then I'd, my class started about 6, 6.30, and I'd go have class. Well, one day, I'm at home in, in Fairfield, in 45 minutes from Sacramento, and I get a call, and it's my grandmother, and she's, she's telling me that the ranch, our ranch in Texas, it's going to be taken over by the sheriff if we don't make these payments. I said, Grandma, that, that's, that's horrible. Let me, let me call Dad. I go, Dad, do we have a ranch in Texas? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me about this? I love horses, Dad. That's like, Dad, I don't know. Jerry, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it turns out that Grandma, she was entering the first stages of Alzheimer's, and, and it, it was brutal. It was tragic. Um, what had happened is she had been reading Harlequin romances. <laughs> and she placed her, she became the character in the story. Literally, this is what this disease did. It robbed her of her identity. And so she would take on other identities kind of willy-nilly. And she, she, be, she would become characters in these books. Um, and it was difficult because as this progressed, I, we all recognized that in her memories, in these narratives, um, there, Jesus was absent. It's, it's like in this, her loss of memory, she, she forgot who mattered in her life because she didn't recognize people. Understand that in this situation, people with these whether it is Alzheimer's or a head accident or something like that, um, literally can walk by a mirror and not recognize the person in the mirror. So to the point that nobody in their house do they recognize, they don't even recognize the person that they're looking at. They, they don't find themselves in their home. Now listen, I know there are some people in our congregation that are dealing with this right now, so this message is going to be difficult. Be praying. So the first reality that hit us with my grandmother is that 
does she remember her own identity? Um, again, she took on other identities. And the second reality that hit us is does she remember us? Because when your memory goes, your memory of your relationships go also. And our identity is largely derived from our relationships. I'm a dad and I'm a son and I'm a father, not all by myself. I am those things by definition. There's another person, right? I'm a Christian. I can't be a Christian all by myself. I'm a Christian because I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So a big part of my identity is my relationships, and that was the same with my grandma, and all those relationships just kind of went up like puffs of smoke. They disappeared. The third reality that shook us, and this one took a little bit of time, um, any kind of peaceful golden years for grandmother, gone. Quickly replaced with irrational fears that turned into very, very real apprehension and anxiety and, and just sometimes intense anger. Remember my cousin went and somehow grandma got confused and she slapped my cousin in the face. She just got confused, didn't, didn't, didn't recognize so she lost her identity, she lost her relationships, and she kind of got lost in time. And this, this is what happens when we, we lose our memories. Not remembering what you started yesterday, you kind of lose your purpose for today. And then when you think about something, an idea that you're going to do tomorrow, and it gone in a wisp of smoke, your, your hope for tomorrow dissipates, kind of goes away. Trapped in the moment. Because who she was and therefore who she is and who she was to become was gone. It was just suddenly gone. It vanished. And the situation for those who, who do forget because of illness, injuries, I mean, it, it's tragic. We, we recognize this. I mean, the very first thing when someone, something like this happens is our very, very first concern is will they remember us? Will they remember anything? Who, who will they be? But the situation for those who choose to forget, that's something else entirely. Our psychological capacity, capacity to remember, to, to retain memories, that makes us different from all other creation, right? To hold something in memory, even if it's distasteful and painful and hurtful, right? It's a sign of maturity in us as people, in, in us as a family, in us as a nation, Right? We, we have to remember the things that we did not so well. And we got to face those with honesty and integrity. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're fake. Right? We just kind of skim through life and we never dig in and have those important, difficult conversations. We're just, we're just superficial. And in all of this, in all of this, it, it's, it's, it's multiple true on, on a spiritual level, like many times over. Our memories. More often than not, spiritual disciplines are really more about just reminding you of, of things that you, that you knew, but in a sense, you, you forgot, right? Temporarily or application-wise or, or some aspect of it just kind of slipped away. You know, th that happens. Um, and maybe you grasp it at an intellectual level, but it never made it, made it into your hands and feet, right, in your heart, Kind of a little bit of spiritual forgetfulness all by itself there. Um, in many ways, the festivals of the biblical Israelites, these festivals were God's memory tool for them. 
right? He, he, there, there were quite a few of them, and, and every one of them, if you'll recognize it, it, it looked back to something that he had done, and then that they're going to celebrate it, which will give them hope for today and a future for tomorrow. That was the whole idea behind all their festivals, the Festival of Tabernacles, right? They recalled the dwelling of Israelites in the 40 years of wilderness, and now where are they sitting in this glorious temple, the holy land, they made it. Or the, the, the Festival of Pentecost of weeks, right? Celebrating the harvest and the giving of the law of Sinai. Um, the Sabbath rest, grounded in the memory of, of how God rested on the seventh day. And then the Passover, the, the big one, the Passover celebration, celebrating their escape from slavery in Egypt. And it's not only remembered, but it's reenacted, right? It's reenacted. And the reason for these reenactments, the idea was that they were going to draw something that had happened way, way in the past, and they were going to draw it up into the present to make sure that everyone here today would experience it. It wasn't just an event that happened 1,200 years earlier. Every year they brought it into the, the present situation and, and lived it in the now, in the here and now. The reenactments were, were a big, 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 big deal. This pattern of remembering the past as an integral part of living in the present and imagining the future is reflected throughout Scripture. And it really highlights a biblical pattern of remembering that I want to share with you this morning. It's not really what we think about when we remember in a secular sense, when we remember back in the day when we were in high school, back in the day when we did this. Biblical remembering is, is, is a little bit different. It, it's, it's incredibly demanding. I'll tell you that right now. If you're going to remember biblical style, you're going to place some demands on your physical life. It's not just a mental exercise. You're going to have to be doing some things in, your, in the process of remembering. Because in, in to the ancient Hebrews, remembering had an incredible practical application um, and again, demands on the one doing the remembering, a mental and a physical challenge. Um, because biblically speaking, it's not just that we remember. Biblically speaking, it's super important how we remember. Not just that we remember, but, but how are we remembering? Because, I mean, we, we all know this. Um, it, it's very easy to focus on memories that are, that are painful, and then you live there for a while. You reenactment, and, and, you, and you live in that, that, that pain. And, and, and remembering the past can easily become an exercise in just painful negativity, um, blaming ourselves for things that we might not have been responsible for, or even if we were responsible for them, but, but just continually blaming and reliving that blame and reliving that blame, and it slowly eats, eats us away. Um, ultimately, remembering the past for these reasons, psychologically, spiritually devastating for us. Right? We're not to remember our failures and then dwell on them. Again, it's Memorial Day, and I know for a fact this, this day brings up some really, really hard feelings in some folks. Um, very, very easy for people who were involved in war or lost loved ones in war to now hate the enemy that the war was fought against. These are human beings. These are people that God loves. And so there's this incredible, on Memorial Day and Veterans Day and Remembrance, and these, these we honor our fallen soldiers, but we can't hate. We, we can't go to that place either. And yet, as human beings, this, this is, if we're not careful, this is where our memories take us, down very, very painful paths. Neither the prophets nor Jesus dodged the reality of past mistakes. They were, they were brutally honest, right? They understood that the past was just that, and no amount of agonizing over it was ever going to change anything that had taken place. 
right? Biblical remembrance, invariably an invitation to a better future, although growing out of a realistic appraisal of the past, an honest appraisal of the past. And on occasion, repentance, forgiveness, you know, that, that's all good, that's fine, appropriate. Um, but the constant theme in the Bible is that remembering the past is not just about dwelling on human shortcomings, right? It's about divine grace for today and the possibility of a new life for tomorrow. We see this pattern in the prophet Jeremiah. First in chapter 14, he can insist, right? In, in all honesty, he can insist that God simply cannot ignore all of the sins of their people. Jeremiah 14, verse 10, it says this. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will not remember their wickedness and he will punish them for their sins. He will now remember their wickedness and punishment, punish them for their sins. And you're just like, oh, this is horrible, horrible news. But that's not the way the Bible operates. Right? It's a very, very honest appraisal of the past, but then we look forward. So while he's telling his people that, man, y'all blew it, he can also tell them that God's love is going to trump everything. This says this in, in same, same letter, same writer, verse 34, chapter 31, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more, right? Back in the other chapter, he was going to remember them. And now Jeremiah is saying, look, I know y'all screwed up, but God is great. He forgives us. Think about your future now. Don't let that weigh you down. Deal with it. Repent and move forward. Move forward. Again, memory of the past often becomes a way of navigating a very, very uncertain, scary, frightening, anxiety-ridden future. Same with Ezekiel. He could openly acknowledge that the Israelites had basically become a valley of dead bones, right? They were, they were literally without life. And yet he could also say out of the other side of his mouth, listen to this. This is in Ezekiel chapter 37. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Again, in the same way, Jesus in, in, the, in the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he didn't spend a whole lot of time recounting how many, you know, he mentioned it. He pointed it out and then he quickly moved on. Talked about her future, what her future could look like. Her today didn't have to be like yesterday. It could be radically different in her future. She could have hope. And in doing so, Jesus and all the other Bible characters that we've been reading about, they follow what they understand to be a, a biblical pattern of remembering. Um, and it always presented a way pointing forward rather than as an excuse to looking back. See, in Christ Jesus, we're never trapped in the moment. We're never trapped in the moment. And, and I know that becomes the basis for 90% of our prayers, right? We forgot what God has done in the past. We're living in today, and he doesn't show up in the future, and we get trapped. But then when we remember what he's done in the future, in the past, excuse me, gives us hope for that future, and we don't feel trapped. The heart of the gospel it's just this incredible realism, right? It's triumphs as well as its errors. And yet, always looking forward to that which might yet be rather than you know, what's already gone on. So again, as we remember our fallen service members on today, Memorial Day, um, and we sing God Bless America, and rightly so, 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we also pray that God would bless all the nations of the earth. And I hope that's our prayer this morning, that God would bless America, but he would also bless all the nations. Because if that happens, war ends. We don't have to remember fallen soldiers ever again if all the nations are blessed. So please, on this Memorial Day, don't stop at God bless America. Be praying that God would bless the entire world, all nations. In middle school, I was a U.S. history teacher. And there was a film I showed every year, and it was the Paul Revere, 1776 things. And, and Paul Revere, they're all in a room, and this young kid, and I don't know who he's supposed to be, but Otis, Sam Otis, and, and Paul Revere, and all, all, the, all the, 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 the fathers are all in this room, and, and they're having a discussion whether to go to war and, and whether it's worth it to die for this, not even a nation yet, was it worth it? For them to die. And so they're having this conversation. And, and one of the men is Sam Otis, I think it was. He says, So, so why would we lay down our lives? What, what, what is the purpose? And, and the young kid goes, So that Englishmen can be free all the world over. And Sam Otis just kind of looks at him and goes, Ah, oh, you don't get it. We're going to lay our lives down that all men, not just Englishmen, it wouldn't be worth it to just lay down our lives for just Englishmen. We're going to lay our lives down for all humanity. That's what we're fighting for, talking to this young man. We're talking for freedom for all of humanity, and that's been the history of this nation. Since that founding, we have tried to pass on this incredible gift that we've been given. Again, Abe Lincoln, Gettysburg Address. In a nutshell, it's now time for the living to finish the work started by those who have fallen. That's not a quote. That's the gist of the Gettysburg Address. We have a task as we think about Memorial Day. Our family and friends have fallen for freedom. But we look around our world and we know that's not complete. And so we, the living, we now have a sacred task to make sure that the entire world would receive the blessings of God. And we can't stop short. And again, in the same way, biblically remembering, it just isn't a mental exercise in feeling good or feeling sad. It's this incredibly all-encompassing, spiritual, emotional, and really above all else, physically demanding remembrance. Why? Because we remember, and God remembers. Think, think about this just, just for a moment here, right? God remembers his covenants and his people. That's, that's a big deal, right? In remembering his covenants and his people, he proves himself to be worthy. Right? My tomorrow isn't very secure if I can't stand on his promise, his covenant. If there's not that covenant, I don't know what my tomorrow looks like, but I've got a promise. And as I read through scriptures, I keep seeing he promised and he delivered. He promised and he delivered. He promised and he delivered. And I stand on that. I'm counting on that. I don't know about you. I'm counting on him standing on his promises. He remembers. God remembers. He also remembers our actions and our deeds. And that's an amazing piece of information because what we do matters. He remembers it. It's not just, eh, they're doing whatever. I don't really care what they're doing. I'll meet them when they die. No, everything that we do, he watches. He watches over like a mother hen watches over her hens. Every move, he's, he's right there. He's right there watching over us. 
And because God remembers, we're commanded to remember. That forms the basis of our worship, right? When we remember the amazing things that God has done, we can't help but fall to our knees and worship and celebrate him. That's what we do here in church, right? We recount how amazing he has been, and we, we talk about how amazing he makes us, and we talk about how amazing the world could be if we could all just get on that same page. That's what we do. All of which, all of these things, we remember his person, we remember his covenant, his requirements, we remember his actions and his deeds, taking us out of slavery, I mean, just all these things. And they give us, again, an identity and a purpose for today, right? Places to go, people to see, things to do. Because we've got a mission, we've got something to be about. And we've got a hope for tomorrow. He's trustworthy and he can be counted on. In fact, it's precisely in remembering that a basis of worship exists. I just said that. As we bring God and his works to mind, we can't help but celebrate. And again, we have a choice. We can remember and celebrate or we can forget and perish. <laughs> Pretty clear-cut choice in God's word. You remember, I'm going to bless you. If you forget, you're going to perish. You're going to perish. Your identity will be gone. Your future will be gone. Can you imagine if, if God didn't remember just think about that for a moment, right? What if God was trapped in the moment? You did something stupid. <laughs> You're going to fry. I'll tell you that right now because he couldn't remember his covenant, right? He couldn't remember that he told you that you would forgive him and never forsake you. He forgot, you know, he can't, that, that, that would be horrible if he forgot all his, these, these things. If he forgot who he was in his covenants and how much he loved us. Right? Every time we did something bad, psh, gone. Boy, we'd be depopulated immediately. Boom. This idea of remembering or perishing is so clear. In the book of Deuteronomy, the book of remembrance, right? it's an account of a nation that chooses not to remember. Go home, spend some time with this. It's, it's a sad reading. Because Moses, in, in several speeches and a song, he's basically reminding the people, you guys have been horrible. <laughs> God's been amazing to you, and you have been horrible. You forgot everything. Every time we turned around, you forgot the amazing things that God did for you. And so we have his account of his leadership and what would happen if the Israelites forget about the God who brought them out of Egypt when he ceases to be their leader, right? But in a nutshell, the whole book is... Don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget. Remember. Remember what I've done for you. Don't ever forget. And again, you'd think that after everything that happened in the desert, all those crazy, I mean, this is all in everybody's memory, right? It's not 1,200 years earlier. It was mom and dad experienced it. You'd think that they would remember these things, but Moses instinctively knew, man, we need help remembering stuff. Our memory is pathetic. Can we all get an amen? Right? Okay. Thank you very much, very much. Thank you, thank you. He instinctively knew that it would be requiring a daily, a daily, a physical, a physicalness about remembering, not just this mental thing. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. You, you caught that part. It's so easy to read right past over that. We stand on that promise. If he forgot about that promise, we're in bad shape. Verse 4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand. Bind them to your foreheads. You're getting how demanding this remembrance is. It's not just remember me. Right? I want you to, I want you to write me all over the place. Write it on your door, on your hand. I mean, just write me all over. Write God everywhere. Otherwise, you're going to forget. You're going to walk into another room and you're going to forget, oh, wow, I'm in another room. <laughs> what did I come in here for? But if you took God with you into that next room, God's still there with you. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore okay, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. Right? This is God's grace. Don't remember, excuse me, don't forget that everything that I'm giving you, you did nothing to earn. You got it because I love you. I love you. You didn't merit any of this. Houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then you will eat and be satisfied. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this morning, as we celebrate communion for Christians, um, this rather demanding pattern of remembrance Right, as a way of acknowledging the past realistically um, that's an inspiration for the present and, and, and life-giving for the future is really best demonstrated in what we're about to celebrate, communion, the Lord's Supper this morning. See, when Jesus told his disciples to remember him, it wasn't just, again, don't forget me. There's so much more to just remembering him. Spiritual remembering is about, it's about, like we said, the Passover meal, right? Taking something that happened in the past and, and making it present in a way that it's real for everybody who's right here and right now. As real as it was then. As real as it was then. When the Passover feast was inaugurated, right? It, its potency was not only felt that first night, right? But every time afterwards, I mean, they would, they would, the cloak, the belt, the walking stick, the whole nine yards, they would relive it to make sure that what we passed on to our children was as close to what originally happened, to, to set our memory is as close to original as possible, because you know how our memories change over the years. Get that memory just right, just, just right. The reality of God saving Israel was to be a lived memory, right? The collective memory, not just of a couple different people. But the whole nation, even those born centuries later, the people of Israel had physical aids in their memory. Every year, the Passover meal would trigger, like, remember when conversation, remember when God did this. Well, Jesus instituted his own parallel meal for his people. We're going to celebrate that this morning. Um, again, the physicality of the bread and wine remind us this is what Jesus did. This isn't just a, a piece of bread and, and a cup of juice. This is his body broken for you. This is an incredible dramatic reenactment. His body broken for you and his blood spilt for you. It's not just bread and it's not just juice. It's his body and his blood poured out. Poured out for us. Probably the most demanding remembrance ever 
It wasn't on our part. It was on God's part. He promised to take care of things. And on Calvary, he remembered that promise. That was a demanding remembrance on his part. And we respond to the fact that God remembered his promise by lifting up the son of his the name of his son. And that's what we're going to do right, right now. You all have these. Hopefully you grab them on your way in. I'm going to read just a little bit further as, as we struggle to open this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to go take a step back from when I normally, where I normally start when I serve communion. I'm going to start at verse 17, and it's kind of brutal. Hold on to your seats. Again, Deuteronomy was written to a people who had chosen to forget. All these years forward, this letter is written for almost the exact same reason. Paul is saying, y'all have forgotten. Listen to this. Starting in verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I, I believe it. Right? This demanding remembrance that even the early church, they had difficulty maintaining. Right? They had disagreements. Right here, they had disagreements. Um, again, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, look into Listen to these disagreements. How, in your own heart and life, is there anything applicable? Verse 19, no doubt there have been differences among you that show which of you have God's approval. As far as we can figure out, there were a lot of opinions on how best to be the church. Right? Our church board is figuring this out right now, and there's differencing of opinions. I promise you. How is it, how will we be the church? What practices do we want to institute that we want to pass on to our children that will be as close to this as possible? What is it that we are going to ask our children and our adults and our small groups? What is it that we're going to be asking them to do or we're going to be encouraging them to do? Practices that look like this. And again, they, they probably had disagreements. <laughs> Just like our, we're not at 100% in agreement, I promise you that. But Paul's saying, don't let that get in your way. You're going to have disagreements. But let the love of Christ cover over everything. He's saying that differences are normal. We've got to work through them with love. Right? Keep reading. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper, supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. He's talking about a communion service, y'all. <laughs> the rich were apparently showing up early. And they were getting all the good cuts. And all the leftovers, they're like, well, okay, we'll let them in. Okay, let them in now. Now that we had everything that was good, now, now all the leftovers, we'll let the poor people come in. And okay, let's have our love feast now. This is what they were doing. They were They were dividing. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. In other words, is this the way you remember it being with Jesus? 
I mean, he's asking the church at Corinth, is this the way you remember Jesus treating you? Did he leave you outside while he addressed the needs of the high and mighty of society? Is this, is this, is this what you remember? Is this what you're going to pass on to your kids? Is this, is this it? He then proceeds to share communion with the fellowship at Corinth with one final reminder. And I don't know if you've ever caught, it caught me for the first time as I studied this week. Literally, as they're preparing, he says this, verse 23, 24. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, I just want to stop for just a second. There's a thousand things that could have been said at that point. On the night he was crucified, the day before he was glorified. I mean, you could go a lot of different places with this. For some reason, Paul says, on the night that he was betrayed, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but you feel like Paul literally, he's screaming at them and he's, 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 he's yelling across the centuries at us, right? If you do this unworthily, if you don't remember what Christ did in a, in a demanding remembrance, if you ignore all this, you're no better than Judas. When you ignore my words, you betray me. When you do this in an unworthy manner, you betray everything I stood for. You betray me. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now listen. What are we proclaiming with these words and with this, this dramatic reenactment, which is exactly what it is? Let me just some suggestions, and, and you can take in what you want. By remembering Jesus, we remember our responsibility towards others. Right? We remember that we are our brother's keeper. In this very act, Jesus says, I'm your brother's keeper. I will watch out for you. And we're reminded we too are our brother's keeper. When we remember Jesus and his command to love one another, we're committing, we're proclaiming that when we come to the table, we'll invite all of our neighbors. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they believe. We will invite them all. They will have a place at the table because God commanded us to love. And in this act of sacrificial love, there was no greater love that could be shown. And here's the kicker. When we remember Jesus, we're demanding. We're demanding that God remember us and our neighbors, right? And the second coming as a fulfillment of his promise. Jesus, you promised not to leave me or my neighbors behind. You promised. You promised. And we stand on that promise. It's not our, only, our, our own self-promotion or even self-hatred that's the key to remembering, biblically speaking. Um, but the intersection of Jesus and our lives, right? Where, where, do they, where do they cross? Where do our mess cross his perfection? So when we recall past grievances and people who have hurt us and done us wrong, 
because we remember and proclaim we don't seek vengeance, right? We seek forgiveness. We seek to be forgiven. When we remember our moments of loneliness, right, we remember that Christ was alone. When we remember being full of sorrow and fear and, and maybe anger, or rejection, alienation, we, we remember his love. And again, let me just close. There are people in our midst who are experiencing memory issues in a, in a big way. Maybe you need to tell them, and if they're listening, they need to understand this, that God has never forgotten them. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they're never, you are never, ever out of his memory. Let me pray, and then we'll take the elements. Father, I don't know how you do it. I, I'm not, it's, it's a mystery. But you commanded us to remember you in doing this. And when we do this, without words, we're saying a lot. We're saying that, that what Jesus did, we're going to do now. A demanding remembrance. So, Father, bless these elements in a way that will give us power for today and a hope for tomorrow. And not just a feel-good memory, but real power. On the night he was betrayed, he took the cup, took the bread, broke it. So this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you do it, in remembrance of me, Father, thank you. We so easily forget, and you knew this. Father, and now for over 2,000 years, we haven't forgotten. Maybe we forget parts of it. But Father, every time we, we take this bread and drink this cup, we're reminded this is, this is your broken body and this is your blood poured out for us. And that's our model. We're to be Christ-like. That's a demanding remembrance, Father. But you understand this more than anybody. You understand how demanding remembering can be. So, Father, by the power of your Spirit, give us that same power so that we can remember what's important. Give us your Holy Spirit to remind us of everything that's important, that everything that your, said, your Son said to remind us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for everything that you've done that gives us a hope for today and a future for tomorrow, even though what we did yesterday. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you. In your name, we pray. Amen.